Recorded live. Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Contents of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine and worldwide on TalkShoe Radio. Today is Friday, May 11th, 2018, and it is a gorgeous day, as they say. Blue sky, sunshine, light breeze. The uh, This is this magic time between mud time and fly time in Maine. And uh, most of the roads are drying up. But the roads that run east and west are mostly shaded from the sun. And there are still some roads in northern Maine where you can't go with a wheeled vehicle. The road may be dry on the surface. It's a dry day today. And the surface of the road is, is dry. And, and you go along there for a ways. And all of a sudden, you come to a place, whoop, down you go. So the dirt is just like wet concrete muck. And it's going to stay mucky until what's under it drains off or dries up. Sometimes there's a layer of frozen ground down there and the water can't drain down through it. And sometimes it's just bare ledge. It just takes time for the water to drain off to the sides because the ledge won't allow water to flow down through it. But mud time is not over in places. And when it is, that's when the black flies come out. Black flies are nasty little buggers and they bite you and they itches and they fly around you getting roaring around there between your eyes and your eyeglasses and hiking around on your eyeglasses. Terrible nuisance. They uh they breed they hatch in water, in clear, fast-flowing streams. And they're in the larval stage, they hang on to whatever's there, sticks and grasses and rocks. And, and then they uh, then they hatch. They crawl up the ground and they dry out of the stream, they dry off, they hatch, and they fly. And the first ones are the males. The males 
They're out there first. And they, males know what the females are going to want. The females are going to want to uh, to uh, get a blood meal from either you or an animal. So they, they'll, any warm-blooded animal will do for them. Chipmunks and red squirrels, moose, anything in between. So the males are there waiting for the females to come out. They don't come out as soon. So you got male black flies buzzing around you. They're just a nuisance. They don't bite. All of a sudden, the females show up. They do bite. In order to reproduce and lay their eggs, they have to have a blood meal from some warm-blooded species. Birds, they'll, they'll get it from turkeys. They'll get them from... from uh, any kind of bird they can find, partridge, and robins, or whatever. And uh, that's what they want. They want a blood meal. And they go lay their eggs, and, and they can reproduce a generation of black flies in three weeks. So one female can lay thousands of eggs. And then, uh, then all those thousands come out. But the season runs for four to six weeks, and then they're pretty much gone. Then the mosquitoes come out. And toward the end of the mosquito season, the deer flies come out. So we've got insects in Maine, including spiders. We've got spiders in Maine. And uh, the state of Maine had so much money left over that they decided to fund a spider certain study. And they uh, they found there were 145 different kinds of spiders on Mount Katahdin. And they published a beautiful, slick brochure detailing these various spiders. They didn't know they were there. How did these spiders that don't exist around other places in Maine get to Mount Katahdin? They come in with campers, visitors. They bring them. They get spiders that only list, only normally live down in South Carolina or someplace. And these people come up and go camping at Baxter State Park, and they open up their backpacks and their tents and everything else and shake them out and put them up, and spiders hop off the tent and go looking for something to eat. I can just see this lady down in Pennsylvania. Henry, we are not going to Maine. Let's go to New Hampshire because they got 145 different kinds of spiders on Mount Katahdin. So you got to think beyond the immediate goal when, you, when you're talking about big government. Is, does it make sense to publish thousands of brochures detailing the 145 different kinds of spiders on Mount Katahdin? They never did a study in Roxanne Quimby's Cordova Woodlot. So the National Monument doesn't have any spiders. Maybe they'll go there. Except for the gates. You know, whenever they whenever they get control of land, the government, whether it's state or federal, or even some local governments, like like the like in Bangor, you know, they got the Bangor Forest. There's a gate there. You can't drive. Handicap access doesn't exist. You can't drive in there with your car and get out and have a picnic or something. Or just sit there and listen to the birds. 
can't do that. They don't want you to do that. So they, the uh, environmentalists just got another 17,900 acres last week down in Washington County where nobody will ever build a house or a camp or a maple sugar operation or a marina or sporting lodge, nothing. They get, you'll see that down that 17,900 acres, there's going to be gates where there didn't, didn't used to be gates. You could ride in there and go partridge hunting or something in the fall. And, and uh, no more of that. They're cutting the economic heart out of northern Maine. I went to the Republican convention last weekend and, uh, down in Augusta. Yeah, I go to the conventions on a regular basis. I have, it's been a long time since I missed a convention. I have them every two years. And uh, this one was relatively well run with a couple of notable exceptions. But they had a really nice convention brochure and uh, it was just, you know, it was an enjoyable convention. They had a few, a few actual conservatives that got to speak. And uh, a guy named Gary Holcomb, running in the first district. I don't pay much attention to the first district. I don't get down there very often. Don't, don't have any special interest in it. Those of us in the second district. Don't try to control and run and tell the people in the first district what to do. Just you know, let's let them do what they'd like to do. However, the first district wants us to run, wants to control what we do. Half of Maine's population lives within 50 miles of Congress Street in Portland. And half of that's water. Stop and think about it. You know, everything east of Portland is water. So that semicircle, like a half a pie that goes from down near Kittery all the way up to uh, Gardner, actually does touch Augusta, is uh, half the population of Maine. Half the population means half the representation in Augusta. Well, you've got 151 representatives in the state. 75 or 76 of them live within 50 miles of Portland. That's half. I'm a candidate for the main house in District 141, the largest district in Maine. 55 towns and townships. It's big. Now in Portland, they've got four representatives in the legislature who are within walking distance of each other, different neighborhoods in Portland. From in my district, 141, it's 113 miles from Mattawankeg to Edmonds. And it's, it's north and south, northwest to southeast. Mattawankeg is in what they call the Central Maine Highlands. And Edmonds is on Cobscook Bay, salt water. They've got a 16 and a half foot tide down there. I'm rushing in. Six hours later, it's low tide, and they rush back out again. If you're going to do any boating down there, you want to pay attention. 
because the tide can run faster than your boat. You get a small outboard motor boat with a six-horse motor on it, and the tide's on the way out, you can't go against it. You've got to go find a shelter of an island and, and wait till the tide stops flowing, and then it's out. It's down 16 feet. So you can float in with the incoming tide with your boat or your kayak. But you really need to pay attention because you've got some real strong currents. So, running in District 141, the most sparsely settled district in the state because the reciprocal or the effect of having the largest district means it's got the smallest population per square mile. 8,300 people, approximately, in this district. And spread over 53 townships is, you know, fewer than 40 people per township. Well, some of the townships have zero people. The largest population in the district is Lee, Maine. 945 people. Second largest is Danforth. That's over on East Grand on the Canadian border. And Princeton and on down through Dennysville, Edmonds, small towns down on the river and uh, on the Denny's River. Good fishing. Good trout fishing. And there's a lot of great trout fishing streams in the district. Because of the low population density and the difficulty of getting from place to place, a lot of them don't get fished very much. Because when a logging road washes out, the road becomes impassable. You can throw a bunch of wood in, in the ditch and kind of be able to crawl your way across a ditch with your vehicle, whether it's an ATV or a motorcycle or your automobile or your pickup. You see that a lot. All of these ditches get washed out. People just take a bunch of junk wood and throw it in there so you can get across it. The next time you get a heavy rain, the, the wood washes downstream and you've got to go find more wood. That's life up here in the country. It's a lot of good people that live here. A lot of low-income people, a lot of prosperous people. And they live here because it used to be a low-hassle environment. Back in the 1980s, late 1980s, uh, Angus King was sent to Maine to do a job on Maine. Up here from Delaware. And uh, he went to work for Pine Tree Legal. Pine Tree Legal is a is a uh, is a left wing activist group of lawyers that represents Section Eight housing residents. You get some somebody that's getting free rent from the government, and he doesn't like the color of the wallpaper or the, the color that a room is painted. So he stops paying the rent on this residence where he is. Maine law says if you're renting a place and it's after October 1st, you can't be evicted until April 1st. 
you can stay there all winter without paying the rent. And then they go, then they try to evict you. The guy that owns the place hasn't gotten any rent money from the state for a month or six months. He wants to rent the place out to somebody that's not a Section 8 person and may actually pay the rent. It's, it's a, it's really, it's a frustrating experience. In the state, and Pine Tree Legal refers to people that own properties for rent as, as slumlords. Well, when he rented out his property, it wasn't a slum. The residents tend to kind of trash these places. And then, because it's trashed, Pine Tree Legal will say, well, until the landlord comes in and fixes it, you don't have to pay the rent. They take the landlord to court. You can't get rid of the renter, doesn't have the money to repair the damage that the renter caused. It's a catch-22 situation. That's who Angus King was working for. Because he, he was a lawyer. I don't know if he still does his license or not, but he was a lawyer. And then he got a half-hour TV show on main public broadcasting at 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Not all that many people watching TV at 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, but he had this half-hour radio show. And as part of his radio show, he went up to to uh, one of the ski resorts over there, Sugarloaf. Went up to Sugarloaf and uh, went to Eco Eco. Now, Eco Eco is a progressive uh, festival that they hold every couple of years when they they threaten industry. So they get a hold of a paper company, for example, and they say, all right, now you got to do this, 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 and this. And if you don't, we're going to trash you in the newspapers. We're going to call you a, an evil corporation that's raping the land and create a whole lot of bad publicity and your customers aren't going to want you to buy your paper anymore because we're going to drag your name through the mud all across the country. And the paper industry would compromise with these people. And there's no return. I mean, this this compromise is an expensive proposition, and the companies lose every single time. And eventually, the companies will leave which is the goal of the environmental industry. They, they want the companies to leave. So they got Angus up there, and they got him off into a side room, a conference room, closed the door, and they said, Angus, we want you to be our next governor. Governor? You don't have any money. I can't, I, I can't run for governor. I mean... Nobody knows me up here, you know. That's okay. We can make you governor. So Central Maine Power got a grant from the federal government to promote high-efficiency electric motors. And the goal, the uh, bait for the paper industry, for example, they get great big motors on on machines and paper mills, really big motors. And when they hit the start button, there's this big sudden current draw to get this motor up to speed, the drum barker or a fan pump, one of the big motors in a paper mill. And when, of course, 
the power company is watching the paper mill. So when they're going to start a big motor, they would shut down some other motors, get the big motor running, and then restart the other motors. And you can schedule these things. So that you, don't, you can minimize the amount of current surge because the bill monthly for the paper industry and other industries is based on your peak power usage. If you've got so many thousand watts for even one second, that's that's what they call the base load. It's not a base load, it's a peak load. But they charge them as if they did it all month. <laughs> it, it's one more way to drive industry out of Maine. Maine Public Utilities Commission dreams up this stuff. That's one of the people I'd like to have a, have a chat with is the Maine Public Utilities Commission. When I, when I get elected to the legislature, I've got a list of things that I want to inquire about. It's going to be fun. So they got Angus King into this room and he said, we, you know, we got this federal grant and we want to set you up and and uh, you can promote these these high efficiency motors that, that ramp up slowly and tell the paper mills that they really ought to be buying them. So Central Main Power set Angus King up in an office, a little cubicle with a computer and a fax machine and a telephone, and he started promoting these these high efficiency motors and telling them what the advantages are, and he did that for a few months. Then sent the main power train around, and they bought Angus King's high efficiency motor company for $7 million. Now, even in Augusta, $7 million is, is a lot of money. So they gave Angus King $7 million for his fax machine and his telephone and his laptop computer or whatever he had for a computer. And he took the $7 million and ran for governor. And he got elected. Oh, by the way, along the way, he he married Central Maine Power's lobbyist because, you know, they thought it would be look better if he had a wife, so Angus King married Central Maine Power's lobbyist. You can't make this stuff up. Well, Angus King's first initiative was to go to war against rural Maine, which is what he was sent here to do in the first place. And he uh, his first initiative, first first one that was noticed at least, was he wanted to close down all of the schools in the public schools in the unorganized territories. There. If Susie has to ride the school bus to kindergarten 56 miles, the family will move because most rural Maine families aren't able to homeschool. Some can. It's a noble enterprise because your child may get a better education and a safer place. Well, people come to Maine because Maine has the lowest crime rate, lowest violent crime rate. So uh, Maine is a safe state. We used to bounce back and forth between Vermont and Maine. Vermont had a, a rule that you know you didn't need a 
If you want to carry a handgun, carry a handgun. It's up to you. If you don't want to carry, it's okay. Somebody else will protect you. And that's the way it works. Now, Maine has constitutional carry, which is a wonderful thing. If you want to carry, carry. If you don't want to, you don't have to. You can't carry in a school. You can't carry in a post office. And there are some businesses that don't allow you to carry. And they uh, they put a bill in down in Augusta where if an employer doesn't want anybody to have a firearm on his property, he can say, you can't have a firearm on my property. And the legislature considered this as a law. And when they when they uh, when they debated this thing and it finally came to a vote, this wasn't just concealed, you know, having a, a handgun in your pocket while you were in the office. This is having a skeet shotgun in your trunk in the parking lot so you can go skeet shooting after work. They didn't want that. They didn't want you to have a private, privately owned firearm at your place of employment. Only one Republican voted for this bill. It was Amy Volk. And her husband runs Volk Packaging down in southern Maine. They make cardboard boxes. And they voted in this thing. And Amy Volk was the only Republican that voted for it. They want to make her the the uh, Senate president next time around. She doesn't support private ownership of firearms. And she's a Republican. But they were talking this up. Yep, she's going to be the next Senate president. We have progressives in the Republican Party. And they work to defeat our platform and our Constitution. The Constitution says very plainly, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be questioned, period. It's in the main Constitution. We had a legislator down there who was termed out. And he did not know after eight years in the legislature that Maine had a constitution. Well, he raised his right hand and swore to support and defend the constitutions of the United States and the state of Maine. Just did not seem to understand. I took Everett McLeod to his first ever Republican caucus in the town of Princeton, down on Route 1, south of Topsfield, just below Indian Township, down, down near Big Lake. Anyway, we went down there, and Everett was elected to the legislature. And the first time down there, the Senate president at the time pressured Everett, you, you've got to vote for this budget. And Everett said, no. I told him I wasn't going to raise taxes. I'm not going to do it. Change the budget. Well, there were 13 Republicans that voted no on the budget that year. It passed overwhelmingly. This is back during the Baldacci era. So they uh, 
maybe it was during King. Anyway, but, uh, so Everett was one of 13 the first time. Everett was reelected, partially because he was against raising taxes. Everett's a good fellow. And second time around, there were 26 Republicans that voted no on the budget. And the House Speaker was tearing his hair out. Everett, you're going to vote for this. No, I promised I wasn't going to do that. The third time around, Everett and his larger group voted no, and the budget failed. He said, now, let's talk. And they came up with a much better budget. And uh, then Everett was reelected. Everett, uh, the fourth time, well-liked legislator. I want to, I want to step in where, pick up where Everett left off. Everett died four months into his three or four months into his first, his fourth term in the legislature. We entered a, a period of darkness for a number of years. And I'm running for that seat. Running for Everett's old seat, and I can pick up where Everett left off with a pledge of not going to raise your taxes. And a whole bunch of other things. As I go along, and the people say, gee, can you do something about this? Can you do something about that? And I'm making a list of, of uh, to it. When I get to it. So, there are flood zones in Maine. And, you know, lots of places in, the, in our nation, like the Ohio River, has homes that flood all the time, Mississippi River, different rivers that flood on a regular basis. These people, all the outlets on their walls are about six feet up on the wall, right at eye level. So when the house floods, you don't have to replace all the electrics. And it's designed to flood. You know, they've got this special sheetrock that's uh, that they use in, in bathrooms, for example, and shower rooms and places. And they, uh, the houses are designed to flood. They expect them to flood. And they, when the flood goes down, they put a bunch of dehumidifiers in there and dry the house out and bring back all the, all the things that would have been damaged by the flood, and they get flood insurance from the federal government. Windows get broken or something. But this, but this is where they want to live. In Maine, somebody down at the Department of the Interior declared whole vast regions of Maine to be flood zones. So you pick a pond. The pond has a three-mile perimeter. And there's a lot of camps on this particular pond. So the pond is 295 feet above sea level. There are small streams running in, one big stream running out. There is no dam. It's a natural outlet in the pond. In order for this pond to flood, and the pond does go up and down a foot or two seasonally. You know, right now, the ponds are all high. And around on the end of August, the ponds will be down a foot or two. 
And then come the September rains, the ponds will come up a little bit, and the trout will spawn, and everything will be good. In order for the camps on that lake to flood, the Atlantic Ocean would have to rise 310 feet. Well, if the Atlantic Ocean rose 310 feet, you wouldn't have to worry about Florida or any of the old coastal cities, Washington, D.C., Boston, New York, Portland, Maine, and much of the Maine coast. It's not going to happen. There's no no way that this could be a flood zone. But because some intern so looked at a satellite photograph and said, ooh, water, flood zone, they declared this whole lake to be a flood zone. In order to get a mortgage to buy a home or a camp on this lake, the bank will require the borrower to buy flood insurance. Flood insurance is $2,000 a year, not just the year that they buy it, every year that he has a mortgage. So if you buy a camp, cash deal, you know, you cash in some stocks, you just want to save up and buy a camp. You can buy this camp, you don't have to buy flood insurance. But if you have a mortgage, the Department of the Interior requires that the bank require that you buy flood insurance on your camp. That's that's the way it is. This $2,000 that this family spends to buy flood insurance leaves Maine. It, it leaves Maine. It goes to the big corporate insurance place down in Hartford, Connecticut, or wherever the insurance headquarters is. But it doesn't benefit the family. It doesn't benefit the main economy. It reduces the value of camps on, in flood zones in Maine. Because if you're going to pay $2,000 a year forever on, on a 30-year mortgage, well, guess what? Three, three years would be $6,000. 30 years would be $60,000. That's more than the price of the camp. And you don't get anything for it. You will never benefit from this insurance that you were required to buy. So people simply don't buy the camp. Or the, or the seller will have to be forced to sell the camp at a ridiculous low price. Because the camp is worth less because of this flood insurance requirement. Well, the difference between worthless and worthless is one tap of the space bar on the keyboard. So I got a hold of Bruce Poliquin, and I said, Bruce, all this money from all these camps leaves the state of Maine, leaves our economy. This is money that they could have spent on Maine products and helping our Maine economy. It leaves the state. It's a dream. It's like Ross Perot's great sucking sound, you know, the Makiadora program back in 92 when we were paying companies to leave the United States and build in Mexico 
to help Mexico. The federal government was actually providing incentives for U.S. companies to build outside the country. That's the advantage of having this experience. Experience counts. A whole lot of experience counts a whole lot. You shine the bright light of truth on these people and they scurry like a bunch of cockroaches. And if you've got your facts, you've got your data, you know, it's a powerful thing. Somebody that runs for the legislature should have some useful experience that can benefit the district. In my case, District 141, the most rural district in the state of Maine, least densely populated district in the state of Maine. 55 or 56 townships. Well, i got a couple of townships. I've only got part of the township. When Angus King declared war on the state of Maine, we called it rural cleansing. It's like ethnic cleansing in some of those European countries where they're trying to drive out one class of people and one faith. And, you know, they've been doing this for 1,300 years over there in Eastern Europe and the Middle East. Now Iran is firing missiles out of Syria at Israel, and Israel is whacking them. (laughs) They have the Iron Dome. They fired a whole bunch of missiles at the Golan Heights, which is uh, in Israel area in the northeast part. And they shot down the the incoming enemy missiles. It's pretty good to have that capability. And they showed it on TV. Fox News had it on there. The the left-wing news media didn't report these Israeli strikes. Left-wing news media didn't even report the fact that the three Americans who were being held in North Korea are back in the United States. They landed at 3 o'clock in the morning yesterday. And they were taken by a medical bus to Walter Reed uh, Military Hospital there in Washington, D.C. area uh, to be checked out. An awful lot of North Koreans have parasites in their digestive systems because of the quality of the food that they have. It just, uh, it's just, it's a big problem in North Korea. Food supply is very poor. Living additions are, are despicable. It's a terrible place. And maybe they can join the world society after a while. This isn't going to happen overnight, but we're beginning to make progress where the last half a century, 60 years actually, 65 years since the end of the Korean War. And these folks uh, have been oppressed brutally since, since before the Korean War. So they've got multiple generations that have never known any any segment of freedom. 
And now little Rocket Man realizes he's up against somebody that's not like the other U.S. presidents. And this guy is, is, is serious. And he put the clamps on him. Look, Jimmy Carter gave you piles of money. And George Herbert Walker Bush gave you piles of money. Bill Clinton gave you piles of money. George W. Bush gave you piles of money. And Obama gave you piles of money. We're not doing that anymore. You're going to have to give up your nuclear program and straighten up, fly right, and join the world's community of nations and little rocket man. If you don't, you're not going to like what happens next. Little rocket man is listening. Because he realizes that this guy that's in the White House now is not like the other swamp fellows who we've had for the last half century. So, Trump and Kim are going to meet in Singapore and have a little heart to heart. Kim can't force us to do anything. But he's going to have to have an incentive to change his ways. Because we're not letting any oil in. We're not letting any coal in. Actually, Korea has coal mines. So Korea wants to export coal, and they can't do it right now. So their economy is, is hurting. Little rocket man is going to have to listen. It's going to be interesting to watch. A lot of hot spots in the world. I mean, Iran is shooting missiles at Israel. We're moving our embassy in from on the coast up there in Israel up to Jerusalem. We said we're going to do that. Lots of presidents said, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. But they never get around to it. Donald Trump said he's going to do it. Next week, it's going to happen. What a wonderful thing. (laughs) You may not like Donald Trump's style, but he does get things done on time and on budget for the most part. We've got Paul Ryan decided he's not going to run again. He got a, a primary opponent, and there's a chance that the primary opponent could beat him. So he's he's not going to run again. He's going to become a lobbyist. That'll be a law against that. But he's going to wind up being a lobbyist. Or working for the Congressional Committee full-time at some enormous salary. So, and then you got McConnell, Mitch McConnell, from Kentucky, a cold act, okay, who's frustrating President Trump at virtually every turn. He's got 200 bills sitting on his desk, passed by the House of Representatives, and he won't bring them up before the Senate. The Senate has a policy. It's not a law. It's just a policy that they have adopted so that they 
they uh they have to get sixty one votes in order to bring a vote to a bill to the floor. This slows them down. It makes it virtually impossible to get anything done. And this this in in most state legislatures and in the Congress of the United States, the Senate is where bad bills go to die. So they'll pass a bill and lay it on the table, which means they haven't funded it. So they pass the bill, but there's no money to implement the bill. Everybody goes, we passed this bill. They go back to their constituents, we passed this bill. Yeah, but where's the money to build the bridge? Oh, we didn't appropriate any money. It was laid upon the table. It's it's a fast shuffle, smoke and mirrors. They're not really doing anything. They're making gestures. So, and I voluntarily am going to insert myself into the swamp. <laughs> I've got waiters. My waiters go all, I'm a tall guy, and my waiters go all the way up to my armpits. And these aren't just hip boots with a set of shorts. They go right up to mid-chest level. And I think I'm going to need them down there in Augusta. First time I walk in there, I'm going to be wearing a shoulder holster with nothing in it. I walked in and out of that state house for decades with a handgun in my pocket. Never caused any problems. If any problems should arise, you can deal with the problem. However, about 10 years ago, they passed a rule that said no firearms in the state house. They turned the state house, the people's house, into a victim zone, like a school and a post office. They said, well, you're not supposed to have firearms on state property. I said, where's the line? Where does this start? Well, it starts at state property. I said, I-95 is state property. What are you telling me? You can't have one in my, on I-95, one place to place? Oh, no, no, no. Where's the boundary? Is it? Can you have a firearm in your vehicle at your place of employment if you're a legislator? In other words, you're in the parking garage across the road. So you, when you come out, you know, get in the parking garage and it snowed all day, you don't have to clear, clean all the snow off and, like, clean your windshield and all that stuff in order to go home or go someplace to hang your hat for the night. Can you have a firearm in the parking garage in your vehicle? I don't know. You're going to have to find out. They don't know. Where's the line? Where do you stop? Can you have one in the cross office building? You got to Going into the state house now is like going through going to the airport. You know, you go through this magnetic detector, and, and uh, you know you can't get every every time you go in and out of that building, you have to go through that metal detector. It's inefficient. It's a waste of time. It's an infringement on our state's rights and on the main main state constitution it says very plainly the right to keep and bear arms shall not be questioned 
unless we want to. Let me look at a map that I found the other day. Angus King got in, and the, when Angus King got elected, the Maine State Planning Office was three people in a cubicle. And what they did is they they tried to coordinate interagency activities. So you've got conservation people, DE people, you've got the Department of Transportation, and and they, uh, you know, they try to work together so that they don't create problems for each other. Main State Planning Office went from three people to 55 people very quickly. They essentially ran state government when Angus King was in office. You couldn't do anything without going through the main state planning office. And they would put a halt to stuff that they didn't like, and they were all environmental activists. And then 1992 was the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. George Herbert Walker Bush went down there, and he came back and he used the term New World Order more than 30 times in his half-hour address to the nation. And that's when Agenda 21 came out. Now, this is not the 21st in a long line of agendas. This is what the environmental industry and the UN's agenda for the 21st century. Agenda 21. I have the book. The book came out of Geneva, Switzerland. You couldn't find the book in the United States at that time. It's about three inches thick. It's got a blue cover, and it's like a Manhattan phone directory. You know, it's a huge book. And they, uh, it's their agenda. Maine has six biospheres. A biosphere is a is a an area with a particular inventory of plants and animals and resources and people. But they want these biospheres to go back to the where the way things were before Christopher Columbus came here. They want it to be totally natural. They want to tear out the roads and the bridges and the culverts, any infrastructure that passes through there. And to connect the six biospheres with each other, they have what they call wolf roots or corridors where the animals can travel back and forth without being interrupted by people. We've got these six biospheres. I happen to own a camp on the highest lake in the Down East Lakes biosphere. I'm inside the biosphere. And they're trying to depopulate the biospheres, all six of them. And Unorganized Territories United created a map 21 years ago, April 30th, 1997. They did a little inventory. And you got the Natural Resource Defense Council, National Wildlife Federation, 
in the number of staffers that they have. National Audubon, the Wilderness Society, Conservation Law Foundation. Conservation Law Foundation opened an office in Rockland, right on the pier, with five full-time lawyers. They were there just to sue landowners for doing stuff that they don't like. And they'd sue them. And the landowner would have to come to court, take time off from his occupation, hire a lawyer, and defend himself against these suits. You can make life miserable for somebody using the law. And even stuff that isn't law. It's a practice or a rule. Then you've got the Nature Conservancy. Budget of $278 million with 1,150 staff people. Now, this is 21 years ago, okay? Natural Resource Council of Maine, $1.1 million, 23 staffers, some of whom are volunteers. The Sierra Club, 47.1, excuse me, $41.7 million, 325 staffers. Maine Audubon, this is different than National Audubon. Maine Audubon, we didn't know how many people we had, but the staff, and the number of staffers was unknown. On this map, there are the six biospheres in red. Then what they call Northern Forest Bioregion, which is highly regulated, much more so than the rest of Maine. Then we've got federal land. Now, 21 years ago, the only federal land was uh, Acadia National Park and the White Mountain National Forest. It gradually began to to uh, gather up parcels, like down in Bering, Maine. They've got the uh, got an area down near Bering. Can't think of the name of it right this minute, but it's federal land, and they had signs what you could do and what you can't do. You know, gates go up. First thing you do is put up gates. The only good thing about this this Barack Hussein Obama Quimby cut over woodlot is they're putting in a lot of gates. And the guys, the welders who make gates are gonna profit from this. Those are the only main people who are gonna make any money out of them. Because the granola crunchers show up with a backpack and a tent and a sleeping bag and a bunch of granola and they don't buy a gas in Maine. They don't buy food in Maine. You know, they might buy a six-pack, but they uh, basically they just don't. They don't contribute to our economy. They come around, they look at the flowers and take pictures of the flowers and listen to the birds and try to get audio calls for the birds that are singing in the woods and you know, stuff like that. But they don't contribute to the economy. Because they like it, they don't want other people to like it. They want to have this exclusively for themselves. They put up gates, lots of gates. I'm going to be using, I I made 10 copies of this map down at Staples in Bangor. I have to go to Bangor once in a while. 
But this is the camp in Springfield. Nice camp. It's a two-story camp with a, a Dutch-style gambrel roof. It's got a uh, monitor heater, 15.8 acres, right up on top of Connecticut Ridge. You drive there with a with a Prius when the road's good. You can't do it today. The road's still kind of soft and rutted up by people that go try to go too soon and get over enthusiastic, but they'll grade the road. Meantime, you've got uh, we've got this camp. Now, the owner of the camp didn't realize that he has a spring on the property. So there's a spring. And Maine Spring Water sells for a dollar a pint down the city. It runs out of the ground here. And I'm working with a group of people called the Northern Penobscot Activities Council. We've got to come up with some kind of a name. And nobody really understands what this is. And that's okay. We are activating a group that's going to support average kids. We've got the top of the class, the valedictorian and people that are members of the National Honor Society, and, and uh, they're going to go on to college and get scholarships. We've got the vocational kids, smart kids. There are builders and welders and certified nurses' aides, medical transcriptionists, and these folks get out of the vocational schools like Region 3 in the Lincoln area and other regions around the state. And these folks graduate from high school and can walk right into a job. We've got the lowest unemployment under Paula Page that we've had in Maine in a generation. You, if you've got, if you're healthy enough and you can pass a drug test, you can find a job in Maine. Now, there will always be people that need assistance, but if you're willing to work, you can find a job in the state of Maine right now. No problem. But these average kids who really didn't, they weren't served well by the education system. And they don't see opportunities. And we're a group of people who want to remind these folks that there are opportunities in the state of Maine, and this is what you need to do. You can have, they don't need a life coach. Life coaching is a fad of, of people that will help other people that never did anything in their whole life except play video games. Okay, There's a world out there where you can build stuff and have fun and go fishing and hunting and ice fishing, snowmobiling. But you have to have enough money to buy a snowmobile. And playing video games isn't going to earn you that money. So we're going to encourage these kids. And we can do this. We've attracted the interest of Poland Spring. Poland Spring is all about clean water. We have been awarded a grant from Poland Spring $50,000. Now, in a tiny little area like ours, we can really make that pay off because we're volunteers. Nobody's getting paid. 
we can put that $50,000 to work to help kids. And we've got several plans. I mean, they don't just drop $50,000 out of the sky with a little parachute and say, have fun. We've got to produce. We've got to show results, concrete results as to what we're doing and, and how successful this is. And you know what's going to happen next year? If we meet meet the need, we're going to get another $50,000. In the third year, we're going to get another $50,000 if we work hard and produce results. Now, there are people in Maine that do not like hard work and results because it doesn't fit their agenda. These are called progressives. This is going to be encounter some resistance. But this thing was in the newspaper yesterday. So it's out now. The word that this is going to happen. We're going to have a, going to have a dinner in Lincoln. And we're going to go to this thing. And we're going to announce what we're doing and how we're doing it. We're all volunteers. We've got some really good, stable, realistic people involved in this. I'll mention more about it after next week's show. I could roll for three hours today. But the time has come. And this has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine, worldwide on TalkShoe Radio. Just Google TalkShoe Radio, Northern Maine Landman, and you'll find it. Today is Friday, May 11th, 2018. Be safe. That water is cold. You want to go canoeing? Wear your life jacket. Because if you get dunked, you're going to be incapacitated real quick, no matter who you are. Skinny people will be incapacitated quicker than heavyset people. So just be careful. God bless. <laughs>